One more time, could we raise our hands? Love the Lord. Let's send a praise to heaven. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, we bless the name of the Lord. Amen, amen. And you all may be seated in his name. It's good to be back in the house of the Lord today, worshiping with people of like precious faith. Amen, amen, amen. That all-important first step of overturning Roe versus Wade is now behind us. And as I already said, uh, there's many steps left to go. Of course, you probably well know the argument with pro-choice has many times been boiled down to the nutshell of my body, my choice. My cousin got married over the weekend downtown Cleveland. I stepped outside when we were going home and someone was carrying a sign from some protest, whatever. My body, my uterus, my vote, my choice. And I said, my God, you're an idiot. I didn't say that. I thought it. Um, but I do find that to be such a, a silly notion. My body, my choice. As if you can do anything you want with your body. Do you know it's against the law to commit suicide? Yes. yes. Can't even do that with your own body. Hey, by the way, can you do drugs, illegal drugs? I mean, it's your body, your choice. But, oh, that doesn't work. Hey, can you kill someone in your home? In your... No, that's still illegal, even though it's your body. Does anyone understand what I'm saying here? I guess I'm just preaching to the choir and everyone's thinking, well, it don't matter now, it's, it's passed. But, it, but it's not passed. It's still there. It's, it's still going to be fought. And what a silly, silly notion. And I, I can't somehow understand that we live in a day and an age where there's not enough adults in the room that stand up and, and figuratively slap such arguments down verbally. They, don't, they won't do it. They won't stand up and say, that is the dumbest argument you could possibly make. Your body, your... No, you don't get to do whatever you want with your body. Can you take your body and blast it into someone else's body? No, you can't. Can you take your body and, and go rob the, from a bank? Whether or not you put someone's life in danger or not? Right. It's my body, my... What a silly, stupid... Art. I know. They, they've told me and trained me, right? My... my father as well as Bible school and anyone, they, they train me, don't use words like stupid and dumb and idiot from the I just, it can't get conditioned out of me you know, pray for me pray for me I definitely need it but, but yeah I, I, it's hard to believe we live in such a time but we do and, uh, and it's a wonder to me, I've said it before, it's a wonder to me that God doesn't just end it all right now, I, I we stand in his mercy and his grace all the time. But for that, we'd all be dead. We just, how can he possibly put up with us any longer? I don't know. But, but he does. And, and he, it, I think that they, all the wrath is there. It's, it's waiting to be released. And it will one day. But uh, until then, let's do what we can for the Lord. Let's take our attention to the book of Second Peter this morning. chapter 1 of 2 Peter, and I'm going to read here verse number 10 from the New King James Version. And just this 
one verse to begin with today, verse number 10. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. I want to speak today from this title, and you'll know it as an old song, Blessed Assurance. Would you bow your heads and help me pray for the anointing of the Lord? Sweet Jesus, I ask, Lord, for your anointing and for your help. God, that the words spoken would not be my own, but would be the words of heaven and would be anointed and would be a help to your people. God, that we may all grow and come, O Lord, into perfect knowledge and understanding of you, your spirit, your will. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. While it may not be a debate in most of our lives or in many of the days of our lives, there is a biblical um, uh, question. Let me say it that way. A a question about the Bible, uh, whether or not those who are saved, are they predestined to be saved. Most faiths do not believe this necessarily, but there have been faiths and still are that that adamantly believe that if you are to be saved by Christ, then it is because he has chosen you. As we've read here from 2 Peter, Peter uses the word your election, and in other places in Scripture it references the elect. Uh, being predestined to be into his image. Uh, Of course, I will unreservedly say the idea of predestination is is foolhardy. It is not biblical. You are not predestined to go to heaven or hell. You are predestined to be in his image. There's plenty of people in this world that are not in his image, in their behavior, right? In other words, as Paul wrote in Romans, being transformed by the renewing of our minds. Amen? A total and complete change. We take him upon us, his image, his behavior, his likeness, and we live like he would have us to live in this present life. That is the challenge of Christianity, but it is not necessarily the destiny of anyone and everyone who comes into the church. Amen? How can you, can you be sure? Well, pay more attention uh, to exactly the words that Peter spoke because those who would believe in predestination would use this verse uh, most assuredly because it uses that word, that, that election, that you are elect, you have been selected to be one of those who are saved, one of those who will go to heaven. Then why, if it is such a sure thing and and, and a secured thing, does Peter say, be diligent to make your call, to make your election sure? Does he mean to recount the votes? Wouldn't there only be one vote? Just the Lord God Almighty? 
Amen? We're not, we're not here to vote whether or not you're, you're predestined or not. No, there's just one who gets to decide. The Bible is clear that only the lion of the tribe of Judah has right to look into that book of life and pronounce heaven or hell upon any individual. Amen? Predestination? No. Eternal security? No. Make your call and your election Sure is what he says. And if there is any type of predestination to be borne out in Scripture, it would actually be toward the negative, not toward the positive, because we have Scriptures that say their names were blotted out of the Lamb's book of life. But I don't know if that is sufficient to build a doctrine on because we know that the blood of the Lamb is such that it can move mountains. The blood of Jesus is so powerful it can forgive a multitude of sins. How many know that Jesus can transform lives that have been absolutely caught up in the worst of sins and drug through the quagmire of life but we have a blessed assurance in Jesus Christ the promise of eternal life with him salvation for our souls won't you clap your hands to the lord if you believe that amen it is a blessed assurance but but he says be sure be sure that you're saved be sure that you're saved I want to today be careful in, in what I say because I don't want to discourage positive behavior of Christians. But I do want to draw our attention to what I think is becoming more and more an inescapable fact. That we are in such a time where the Great Commission is becoming harder and harder and harder to fulfill, to participate in, to exercise, to be effectual in for Christians. Well, that, that was a confusing sentence. What are, you, what are you trying to say, Dan? What I'm saying is the world doesn't want to hear about Jesus. Jesus said that, that ever since John the Baptist came and began to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom, people have been pressing in to the kingdom. They want to be in the kingdom. Why? 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 Because of forgiveness of sins, freedom from their past. Look at the miracles and the signs and the wonders Jesus was bringing to their life. They want to be in it. They want to be in it. They want to be in it. But it seems as though we live in such a time that people would much rather watch sporting event than they would come and get prayed for and get healed and get delivered and, and, and build their faith in something that's positive. Can I get a witness right now? We, we live in a culture that, that would rather stubbornly and doggedly uh, uh, rely on political solutions more than they would solutions of faith and solutions of religion and solutions of, of righteous behavior. Can I get a witness right now? How, how many have some friends that actually act that way that would rather, would rather lean on their own understanding than say, hey, I don't really have a clue. I need the Lord to help me through every day. Yeah, I said, I need the Lord to help me through every day. I've got a blessed assurance in Him that if I... 
cast my cares on him. He will help me because he cares for me. He knows my sorrows. Is there strict Bible for what you're trying to say here today, Dan? Well, I don't know if there is, really. I don't, I don't know if there is. There would be more, more loose and ambiguous things to point to, just like when we read in Matthew chapter 24 about all of the, the angst that come upon the earth. And it, it says, you know, don't pray that you wouldn't have a child in such a day because it, it'll be so terrible. You'll have to flee to the mountains. That, that's kind of ambiguous. I don't think the Bible teaches us ne- to, to ever not witness, to ever not be a, a light shining in darkness. I don't really think it says that. But, but what I want to, to share with you is this thought that, that it has become so challenging to even share with people, there's a way out. There's hope for you. Now, I don't know, maybe, maybe there's just this special gifting that, that some of you might have or some people might have, and they, they're just so much better at witnessing than I am, but it seems like the world just has no appetite for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Peter writes in this first chapter of his second letter, he begins it, with the introduction, Simon Peter, a bond servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. Two designations, he gives himself one, an apostle. An apostle is nothing more than one who is sent. In other words, he was a missionary. He was there to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ. But he adds this other little title for, for the readers, the recipients of this letter. He says, I am a bond servant and an apostle. Yes, I was sent, but more than I was sent, I wanted to go. What is a, a, a bond servant? I mean, bond kind of indicates debt. Bond kind of instant it indicates some type of slavery really and what this is that he's really saying is that i am a servant of my own free will i am a slave to the lord i love him so much that i would not be separated from him i made that mistake one day when he was on trial and i denied him three times but no more would i be separated from him i made the mistake after i thought i failed him i didn't think i could be reconciled to him but he came back to me when I had gone fishing and he found me and he brought me ashore and he said come and dine I'm calling to you come and dine do you love my sheep feed my sheep do you love me feed my people so I'm here today yes because I was sent but more than that I want to to be in the kingdom of God I want to make sure I am saved I want to make sure you are saved I want to make sure you have the opportunity I am so desperately, wildly, out of control, in love with Jesus Christ. I would not be anywhere else. A bond servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. In other words, it's not... Our righteousness, it's his. We adopt it. We take it upon ourselves. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory 
and virtue. Wonderful, wonderful writing for a, an ignorant fisherman, don't you think? Wonderful writing. Anything good in him, in other words, anything good in us, it's because of him, not because of us. By which we have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. Add to your virtue knowledge. Add to your knowledge self-control. Add to your self-control perseverance. Add to your perseverance godliness. Add to your godliness brotherly kindness. Add to your brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will neither you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, and this was our key verse today, therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Make your call and your election sure. If I am, am correct... Even, even somewhat correct, that, that contrary to when the gospel began, where people were pressing into it, now we live in such a time that they seem to be absolutely apathetic towards it. What is left for the Christian to do? It is this, to make sure you are saved, to make sure you are ready. Add to your faith in him virtue. Add to your virtue knowledge and self-control, perseverance, brotherly kindness, love. Add to yourself all of these things. Be patient with people. Still, yes, proclaim the gospel. But church, be sure that you are saved. Because you will give an account one day of your life. And folks, it's not going to be enough to say, yeah, I went to church all the time. All the time. You know, he's going to ask me, he's going to turn to me and, and, and look at me and he's going to say, did they? Or you get that. Well, didn't you read the Bible that they must give an account? That the apostles and the prophets and the pastors and teachers, they must give an account Those who watch for your soul. So he's going to turn to me. Were they there? You, what kind of question is that for God to ask? That, that's this kind of question. Adam, where are you? Coming through the garden. Where are you? As if God didn't know. Did they come to church? Amen. I came to church all the time. I did this. I did. Yeah, yeah. Add to that. Add to that everything that you can in the nature of God. Now, did you hear the preacher? Add to whatever you do have of him 
every piece and every part of the very nature of God. Spend serious time in reflection and meditation about your spirit, about your soul, about your attitude, and and wash it against the word of God. Wash it against the blood of Jesus. Compare it and contrast it to the very nature of Jesus on this earth. Be sure that you are ready Because he is coming. He is coming. He is coming soon. No man knows the day nor the hour, but he is coming, so be ready. Be sure. He'll appear as a thief in the night. He'll appear, and if the watchman had known that he was coming, he would have been paying attention. And that is what I worry about, that the the spirit of apathy from the world will bleed into the church. So much that we forget why we are here. Can I tell you one more time, we're here for Jesus. Can I tell you we're not here for you? Can I tell you as much as I will pray with you and bear with you your burdens, we're not here to stroke your ego or just to make you feel good or to tickle your ear. We're here to preach the words of life and death. We're here to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ unreservedly, unfiltered, with all of its raw power. We are here to confront the world with the only saving name under heaven. That is Jesus Christ and his gospel. So be sure. Blessed, blessed assurance. Be sure you are saved. Jesus gives his disciples a parable, or what has been argued at times, perhaps even a true story, for it would be the only parable in which he used someone's actual name. From the book of Luke, there was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. A rich man had everything he wanted. There was a certain beggar named Lazarus who was full of sores, who was laid at the rich man's gate, desiring to be fed with crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. What a pitiful thought. Laid at his very gate, and the beggar would be satisfied, would be content with just a few crumbs, not to, to have, you know, the filet that, that the rich man was having, cooked to order, not even the fast food, which no longer in our day and age is fast because everyone's going through the drive-thru. But just a few crumbs from the table. Just treat me like a dog. I mean, they're already here among me. They're licking my wounds. I don't know if that's supposed to make it feel better, heal it a little or what, but, but there he is living with the dogs. I met a man one day who lived with dogs. He, he was homeless. He lived out of his car, and it was... Brother Ron Easley's neighborhood. Don't you remember this, Ron? That guy by the tracks. He had his car there. He had with him, I don't know, maybe 12 dogs in his car at least. At least. The smell that came out of that car window was so intense. I, I literally couldn't get about more than eight feet from it. It was so intense. 
I mean, you don't don't really want to get that close to the the grime and the filth and the dirt, do you? But but if you're a rich man, you you have the means to to tell someone, hey, go get this guy a bath. Go get him a meal. Go get him something. Go, Go do something. But the rich man is living so high on the hog, he doesn't even take notice, hardly, of this filthy beggar at his doors. So it was that that the beggar died. He was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. He cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and, and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. Would you just bring me not a gallon of water? not a glass of water, just a drop of water. Just as Lazarus used to beg just for some crumbs. I now beg just for a drop of water. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus, he received evil things. But now he is comforted, and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed. It's sure, it's fixed. It's it's not going anywhere. So that those who want to pass from here to you, they cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. There is no bridge to connect. Then he said, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send him. Send Lazarus to my father's house. I have five brothers that he may testify to them lest they also come to this place of torment. And Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. Now for for me, This may not be true for you, but for me, it's hard to find a more powerful and instructive scripture in all the Bible. The response of Abraham to the rich man. He said to him, if they do not hear Moses, if they do not hear the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. That seems so hard to believe, doesn't it? I mean, come on, if, if we went to a funeral and someone popped out of the, the casket, wouldn't we all believe? Wouldn't we all be converted? If, if, if all of a sudden it started happening here, there, and everywhere, wouldn't, wouldn't we all turn to the Lord? Wouldn't America finally wake up? Wouldn't the world itself wake up and have a revival, the likes of which we've never seen? But this is why it's so instructive. It's all ready happened. What are you talking about? That's the gospel of Jesus Christ, folks. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the blessed assurance. Even when he died, it was so powerful, the graves were opened. And many who were dead began to walk among those that were living. And then he, of course, three days later rose himself. 
It's already happened. And with many infallible proofs, he showed himself to the world. He, he may have not gone on, on a 40-year journey, but he went on a 40-day journey, and he showed himself many times to his disciples, and he helped train them, and he showed himself to others. And when he ascended, there were 500 present, and it was recorded multiple times by multiple writers. It is an infallible proof of his divinity, of his Godhead, of his absolute royal nature as God. It's already happened. And whereas the good news, that gospel, when it was brought to the world at first, people pressed into the kingdom because of that blessed assurance. They pressed into the kingdom that they could be made like unto him. And now it's just like, oh, yeah, you holy rollers. Oh, yeah, you... Wingnuts and dingbats and crazy religious people. Ah, that's nuts, man. That's crazy. You believe Jonah was swallowed by a whale. Yeah, you don't believe life happens until what? Birth, two years, three years, what? You think I'm intimidated by your sin? By your confusion? Blessed assurance. This is the, the mentality of the world. They know right from wrong. No, it's far beyond that. They don't know life from death. They, know, they don't know up from down. They, they don't know human from, from horse. And I'm not exaggerating with that statement. They don't know the difference anymore, many of them. So when you proclaim the good news, they say, I have no time for good news. I have no time. I have no interest in good news. There's a scripture about those who have wealth, riches, fame. I'm, I miss quoting this a little bit. I, I'm not getting this exact, but those who have much in this life, they feel like they have no need for anything for their soul. But is it, is it too extreme to say that even today, even, even the poor, even the poor seem to have no need for anything for their soul? Well, why? Why? Well, they have a, a smartphone, so what do they need God for? It's a throwaway mentality, isn't it? Knowledge, the Bible says in the last days, knowledge would increase, but not really wisdom, right? Just, just knowledge, and it's, it's, it's become disposable. Knowledge has become disposable, just like a disposable camera. Take my few pictures, look it up on Google real quick. Don't need to retain it. Throw it away. Oh, you're a Christian, I got the mental note. Throw it away. Oh, you think that? Okay, throw it away. That's not enough for a Christian. This simple passing knowledge of Christ. We must be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Did you hear me, church? You must be transformed by the renewing 
of your minds, whom he did foreknow. He did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. You must be transformed, conformed, metamorphosized. If that's a word, you must be changed and made like him. And you've got to be sure. You've got to be sure. You've got to be sure. You will not find it in the world. You will only find it in his word. You will not find it at the sporting event. You will not find it at the bar. You will only find it in the church of the living God. You will not find it in the laws of men, but you will find it in the Bible. This blessed assurance. Don't think that I'm okay, I'm not nearly as bad as them. No, that's, that's not the, the standard to which we are measured. We are not measured to the lowest common denominator. We are measured against Jesus Christ. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God. Born of his spirit, washed in his blood. Did you catch that? Purchased of God. He's purchased you. He's bought you. He's paid it all for you. We cannot afford to be apathetic in response to that good news. It's not disposable knowledge. It's not a throwaway comment. Would you have eternal life? Would you have it? How can I make such this bold and crazy statement? People aren't interested in it. Would you, would you have it if you laid it before them? If someone came back from the dead... Come on, someone, are you you understanding me? It's like the world has no interest in heaven. So content are they with the rich man's table. And it's not sin to be rich. Earlier in the chapter, it's not the rich man that's the devil. It's his steward. You know, it is true that, that... the Bible says that a rich man's got to be careful. He's got to be willing to un- unburden himself from his riches. Just like a, a camel would have to be unburdened to come into a city. He's got to be willing to, to strip it all away. Being rich is not the problem, but, but being bankrupt in your soul is the problem. Do you have any appetite for the gospel? It seems like the world more and more has zero appetite, but, but does the church still have an appetite for him? Does the church still have an appetite for faith and for virtue and for perseverance? Come on, do I have a witness today? Does the church have an appetite for brotherly love, for, for brotherly kindness and for love? Does the church have an appetite for righteousness? Does the church have an appetite for praise and for worship? Does the church have an appetite to be excited and enthusiastic about being pulled out of darkness and placed into his marvelous light? 
Does the church have an appetite still to speak with other tongues as the Spirit of God gives them utterance? Does the church have an appetite and a desire for this blessed assurance? That you might make your call and your election sure. You know the Great Commission. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. And this gospel of the kingdom... The next verse says, will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. How many countries are left that haven't heard? How many peoples? How many languages? How many, how, how many folks are left that, that it has not reached? I don't know. I don't know. But it feels like it's so small, the number now, that perhaps all that's waiting for the wrath of God to be revealed to man is just for that last village, that last group of people. He's so fed up with us. He's so tired of us. He's still so exhausted with humanity and its desire to invent evil. So many pass on that blessed assurance. They used to press into the kingdom, and now they, well, they do exactly what, what he said they would do. Right? They, they have more desire for pleasure than they do for God. Perilous times shall come. Can I profess to you today, we live in that day? Can I, can I say to you with, with that same type of confidence, we live in that day? Lovers of their own selves, lovers of pleasures, more than lovers of God. Unthankful, unholy, without natural affection. From such turn away, from such turn away. From such turn away. Oh, they'll have their own prophets too, and they'll have their own preachers. Would you all stand? Because the scripture there goes on to talk about those prophets in Egypt and their names, Hannes and Hombres, those servants of Pharaoh who matched Moses when he would throw down his staff. And it turned into a serpent. So they threw theirs down and turned them into serpents. I have no idea if it was a magic trick or real. I know Moses was real because his serpent consumed the other two snakes. And when he picked it back up, it returned to being a staff. And it didn't stop there. As you well know, the ten plagues came until one day. Pharaoh said, no more. I will let your people go. And in like manner, God will once again rain plagues upon the earth. But those who have made their call and election sure. Are you hearing me right now? Those who have made sure they are safe. They'll be riding through the sky with him. 
as he returns to this earth, his army behind him. So many are under that altar in in Revelation praying, how long, Lord, how long will it be before you avenge us? How long will it be? He's coming. He will not spare one. Just as the angel of death only spared those who were inside the blood, protected by the blood of the lamb in, in Egypt. He'll not He'll not look the other way if you've not made yourself ready. Be sure, be sure, be sure. Would you raise your hands? Would you speak to the Lord for a moment about your soul? Not your brothers, not your sisters, not your wives, not your husbands, not your children. Speak to Him about your soul. Lord, would you search me? Would you show me? What is incomplete in me? Would you show me what is dark in me? Would you show me, oh God, where your light has yet to penetrate into my soul? And would you make me ready? Help me, oh God, to unbear all of it, to to unload all of it, to lay all of it aside. I don't want to be as those spoken of by Isaiah that I would pull sin as as if it were with a cart rope. I don't want to haul around with me weights and cares that would separate me from you. I want to be clean. I want to be pure. I want to be made new in you. I want to be sure that I make heaven my home. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a of God born of his spirit washed in his blood this is my story this is my song praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior. Perfect submission, perfect delight, visions of rapture. 
now burst on my side angels descending bring from above echoes of mercy and whispers of This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day. been good to be with you wonderful and beautiful people god bless you all you're dismissed in the name of the lord